out your Bibles and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, it's on page uh, 1229. And just hold that open and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, so this, this will not come as a news flash to very many of you in this church, uh, maybe some of the new folks, uh, but probably not. Um, I, uh, so I personally tend to be a pretty serious guy. Um, I, like, I'll make jokes here and there, and I like to think I'm pretty funny uh, at times. But like, sort of disposition-wise, like in terms of just how I approach life generally, I'm a pretty serious guy. Like, so I'm not usually thinking about life like, um, like, like what would be fun to do? I'm thinking like, what is important, right? And, I, and I'm not thinking like, oh, what do I feel like doing? I'm thinking like, what is the right thing to do? Like, even when I'm taking it easy. So some of you know, like, I've, I've uh, gotten into fly fishing a little bit in the last few years. But, and this is so ridiculous, but it's true. So I won't say, like, hey, I think fly fishing is fun. I'll say something ridiculous like, you know, recreation is good for your soul, right? Like, like I'm, I'm just a serious guy. Like, I, it's just kind of in my nature. And, and I think, I think I come by it honestly, um, and I come by it honestly because, um, you know, these last seven years as a pastor, but even before that, you know, I kind of, I have my ears open, and I'm listening, and I'm watching. And, and if you're a person who listens and watches, a lot of times what you're going to notice is a lot of people struggling, and a lot of people suffering, and, you know, a lot of people who are just racked by doubt. Like, this world can be a really harsh place. And so, in a sense, like, seriousness seems fitting in the face of that. You know, I think about Micah Sherman. He was, he's, he's a missionary from our church in Costa Rica, but he was a member here for a few years. And, and if you were here at that time, you know he had this like, pet topic that he'd bring up all the time, right? Lament, right? He wanted us to understand lament, like these, these hard prayers to God in the face of suffering. And he, he preached about that a few different times, and I loved those sermons, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, because I'm, I'm a serious guy. And, and it is specifically because I am such a serious guy, and I know that about myself, that I wanted to take this summer uh, to, to, I guess, to, to stretch myself and to study the book of Philippians. Okay, so book of Philippians, it's a short book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter Paul wrote to Christians in this town called Philippi. Um, and it's only four chapters, but it's known as, like, Paul's letter of joy. <laughs> like, uh, the Greek word for joy or rejoicing uh, comes up, like, at least 15 times uh, in, in just this short little book. Like, it's all over the place. Uh, and so I thought, what would be better than to take, like, a serious look at joy this summer? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and we're going to start right in the beginning. So... Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, so they're the guys who are writing this, uh, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. When he says to all the saints, he's always, he's always talking about just, like you guys, you are all the saints of Creston Church. It's just who's a part of the community. It's not like you have to go through some special process uh, to be, it's, you have faith, that's what a saint is. Uh, together with the overseers, it's another word for elders, and deacons. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want you to notice the warmth, not just in the room, but the warmth of the letter, okay? Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Notice the love, is, it's not just a feeling, right? It's a thinking love. It's, it's a discerning love, right? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. So like I said, uh, Philippians, it's the letter of joy. You see it in verse 4. He talks about that feeling again in verse 7. Paul is praying with, he is feeling joy. Which, if you know the context of this letter, makes almost no sense at all. Okay, So start by looking at verse 7. Paul mentions uh, being in chains. Uh, chains come up again in verse 13 and 14. And of course, you know why Paul keeps bringing up chains. He's writing this from prison. Paul is locked up. The letter of joy comes from a guy who is behind bars. And that's not the only reason joy is pretty unexpected here. So uh, we will learn later in our study that the people this letter is written to, the Philippians, uh, those folks were being persecuted for their faith. We don't think that they were being killed for their faith, but they were probably like losing business, uh, and they were probably being like uh, cut off from family and friends just because they're Christians. And then on top of that, we're going to learn that there was this group of bad preachers. And some of them were bad because they were just kind of slimy people. They technically said the right things, but they were pretty slimy. And then some of them were bad because they were like actively trying to teach things that were contradictory to what Paul had said. This is not exactly like fertile ground for joy, right? But here it is. I think this is so important. The letter of joy, it's not written by somebody like enjoying their their great vacation, right? Like Paul didn't just get a pay raise. Nobody here just won the lottery. If anything, it is exactly the opposite of that, right? 
So you have an imprisoned pastor writing to a persecuted church that's being harassed by false teachers. Joy, right? But Paul says it. He's, Paul is joyful, and he wants the Philippians to be joyful too. And Paul gives really two reasons why he's joyful in this passage today. First, he says in verse 4 uh, that he always prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. And that, that Greek word for partnership really just means like they've been helping each other out. It's nothing complicated. Paul's, Paul's been supporting them. Uh, they have been uh, supporting Paul. They even, they even have sent a guy uh, to like try to take care of him in the town where he's in prison. Um, so they're, they're supporting each other. You might say they're on the same team. So that's, that's kind of the reason for their joy. They're on the same team. The only trouble, of course, is it's the losing team, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, all these bad things are happening to both of them. Although I was thinking this week that's not always, it's not always as bad as you think. Like I was thinking about, you know, if a group of soldiers goes into battle and, uh, and they lose one of their brothers in the battle, it is an extremely bitter loss, right? Um, but often what I've heard is what comes out of that is there's like this bonding among those who remain like is incredibly tight. I think we experience this with less extreme situations too, right? Like when you're going through like some kind of hardship or struggle, a lot of times it will serve to actually tighten the bonds of people around you um, than if everything is just going fine. So on the one hand, Paul's just grateful to be on the same team with these guys. Like there's a depth to their relationship that, that he's thankful for. And yet, Paul's joy is actually something more than even just that. So he says that his joy comes from the fact that he knows that even though his team looks like it's losing right now, in the end, it will win. Look at verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul is not just joyful because they're in this together. He's joyful because he's seen God do impossible things. There's at least two big ones in Paul's life. First, this is, there's Jesus Christ, dead in the tomb, right? I mean, the movement is, is over. The, the disciples are dejected. His followers are lifeless. And then on the third day, he's risen, right? So Paul has seen God do impossible things in Jesus Christ, and he's seen that more personally in his own life. So you, I don't know if you all know this about Paul, but his early reputation, he was famous for persecuting the church. He, he personally oversaw uh, the execution of Christians. I mean, he was like as hard-hearted as they come. He was completely sure of himself. Nobody could change his mind until God basically struck him down on the road to Damascus. And God turned this guy who was like this fierce opponent of the church into like its most passionate defender. Paul has seen God do all these impossible things. See, Christians like Paul, we are people who believe that whatever the circumstances, you just you do not count God out. God will finish what He's started in you. And, and there's nothing that prison, there's nothing that persecution, there's nothing that even death can do to interrupt God's ultimate plan. 
God's plan goes beyond this world and into the next. And this is so important for Christians. Sometimes I think churches give the wrong impression. Um, And so I think we've got to be really clear here. Christians are not joyful people because our lives are easier than other people's lives. And and we're not more joyful than other people because we're better than other people or because our lives are going better than other people. Our joy comes not from our experience of being comfortable today. It comes from this confidence that no matter what is happening today, we can trust God for the future. We can trust that God will win, that evil will be defeated, that heaven will be amazing. That that the God who started this relationship with us, right? God initiated this with all of us. He's the one who brought us into faith. That the God who started this relationship will not ever leave us alone. He will finish what he started in this life or the next. Paul is joyful not because things are so awesome for him right now. They're obviously not. He's joyful because he knows who is really in charge. And he knows what the one in charge is capable of. Paul is joyful because he knows that even in the worst circumstances, there is nothing, not trouble or hardship, not persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or even death. There is nothing that will be able to separate God's children from his love. In Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I actually read that passage uh, this past week at Doris's funeral. That Romans 8, about uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, Doris was, she's a longtime member of this church, and... Uh, I was leading her funeral on Thursday. And, and I've shared with some of you in the past that in, in kind of a, I guess, as, as a pastor, I, I kind of like leading funerals. Um, I've said before that as a pastor anyway, and that's an important distinction, but as a pastor, I would prefer to do a funeral than a wedding. It's just like no offense to Gabe and Karen, super excited about August, but um, like I would prefer to do a funeral... Um, Not because I like death, right? Obviously, I hate death. But um, because funerals, at their best, have this way of like like clearing away all the clutter. Um, Whereas weddings, and even the good ones, um, tend to be cluttered with a lot of, I want to choose my words carefully, um, a lot of silliness, okay? So uh, I cannot tell you how many times I have been asked, uh, where the bridesmaid should stand, you know? And, um, or this is another one that comes up almost every wedding, you know, uh, how should the groomsmen hold their hands? You know, like, should it be like this, like in the front? Like, is it loose at the side? Is it in the back? Right? Like, these are wedding questions. And, um, and I, you know, I do the weddings because I love you all. <laughs> and, uh, and because I know that for you in that moment, it really feels important. Um, but, of course, with a little distance, we all, I think, recognize, like, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, so many of the, the little things we do for weddings, 
don't, don't matter at all. Funerals, though, tend to clear away the clutter, right? Um, I think funerals have a way of focusing us on like, what really matters, like the really important questions, like what makes a life worth living? You know? Um, is there anything after death? Um, are God's promises trustworthy? Right? And I think it is because of his answers to questions like those, to the, not the silliness, but to the, the substance, it's because of his answer to those questions that Paul has such deep joy. It's almost like the trials that he's facing in his life have focused him on what really matters. Right, so he's separated from his church. Um, they're being harassed. He's separated from his friends. He's lost his freedom. But now he's begun thinking about what he hasn't lost and even what he can't lose. He's begun thinking about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And when he thinks about that love, it fills him with joy. I want to end with just a little image I came across this week and it was just in my mind a lot. I, I've done a little bit of hiking like out west, like Colorado, out in the mountains. And, um, and you go on these trails and they're beautiful, right? I mean, and the, the view is changing all the time. You know, every time you take a turn, you can't believe how beautiful it is. But the, the trail itself is often almost completely unchanging like the whole time, right? It's just, for miles and miles, it's just gravel and dirt and dirt and gravel. But then, every once in a while, um, a big storm will come, be a mudslide, things like that, and uh, a trail will have to be closed because some section of the trail that was going up along the side of the mountain just literally got wiped out, like just gone off the face of the mountain. And, um, it turns out that that section of the trail was just, it was gravel and dirt, but it was gravel and dirt all the way down. But then there will be a section like right next to that <laughs> that's still standing. And what happened is there was about three or four inches of gravel and dirt, and then underneath it was bedrock. And so when, when the storm came and, and this, this mudslide, it it wiped out everything on top, everything that you thought you were walking on. But what it did is it exposed this thing that you didn't even realize was underneath, this, this solid rock. And, and I bring this up because I think it is the same for Christians. I think sometimes we do not realize how firm our foundation is until a storm comes, right? Until that mudslide, until that stuff that we thought that we were walking on the stuff that we thought we were depending on until that all gets wiped away. And we realize underneath there was bedrock all along. All right, let's pray together. Lord, as... Uh